2: Support for today's episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast could come from you, the listener, by heading over to patreon.com slash Writer. There, you can be a monthly supporter of the show and my writing that the brilliant Sam Harris describes as basically one less cup of coffee per month. If that's feasible, I'd love to have your continued support, but if not, that's totally fine too, as there are other ways of supporting the show. If you're an Apple Podcasts or iTunes listener, you can leave the show reading and a review that is very quick and very painless and something that I'd very much appreciate and will help other people find the show. I'd also like to quickly remind you that you can listen to the podcast on Stitcher, Spotify, which is pretty cool, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Lastly, don't forget to check out my website at chasethomaspodcast.com where you can find quick easy access to all of my previous episodes, all of my articles, I'm writing a lot there now, how to contact me, and much more. And with that, let's jump into today's episode. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. <laughs> um, my p- nephew needs me to record. See, I hate, I already hate it. I hate it. All right, we're back on the Chase Thomas podcast with guest from Bucksdugout dot com, a very good Pittsburgh Pirates blog that you should check out. Eli Nellis. Eli, good evening. How are you? How are you coping with everything? It's Tuesday and it feels like everybody that we remember from the Pirates of the last couple of years are are gone now.
1: <laughs> I'm hanging in there. It's uh it, it it hasn't been fun, but I think I'm uh I'm slowly coming out of the fog and um You know, remembering that there's uh, still a season to be played and things like that, I I don't uh, expect a whole lot, but uh, of of the season. But um, yeah, it was a rough couple days. Uh, You know, within three days they traded the you know two franchise cornerstones um, for a lot of Pittsburghers. the uh, The day in the middle Sunday was not great either with the Steelers. They had a sort of uh, unexpected, really flat playoff loss. So, uh, yeah, three days in Pittsburgh that have, uh, you know, no one's really in a good mood around here.
2: Not a good mood. So is there any animosity towards what Neil Huntington is doing? Or is it more of like, you know, we understand. Is that where the fan base is? Where it's like, we're not angry. We understand. But it's still just depressing because Andrew McCutcheon was just such an awesome figurehead for this organization for so long. Garrett Cole being uh, a guy who felt like he was just waiting to develop and turn into a star in that farm system for years and it actually all panned out for him. And then to trade him to the team that just won the World Series and then read articles on Fangraphs where they point out that... The Astros might be the perfect team for Garrett Cole and just how painful it's gonna to be to maybe see Andrew McCutcheon in the playoffs potentially in the Giants wild card game, which I'm sure Pirates fans are um that I'm sure you're especially very much uh aware of the the problems with the wild card game <laughs> and avoiding yeah, that yeah. altogether. Um yeah, I think it's it's a weird situation because it on one hand, it's kind of cool that Neil Huntington, I think put both of those guys on teams where they can succeed and thrive and didn't send them somewhere where I think they would have been lost in the shuffle or wouldn't have panned out. But Cole gets the chance to be a dominant front of the line starter in Houston and potentially get a ring. And then you have McCutcheon going to a veteran heavy team with Evan Longoria and everybody else in San Francisco. So it feels like he did the right thing. Maybe that's something that good karma for Huntington and the Pirates going forward is that they they put both of these guys on teams that uh, have very high aspirations in 2018. So I, I don't know. The, where, is that where fans are or do, do they have a different perspective on this team um, of There are
1: some people that understand that uh, I think there are a good bit of people that get it um but i think there is a lot of animosity too it's um i think there are a lot of i think there's a always a very loud reaction when the pirates make a move there are a lot of people that uh are uh they're always very upset with management with ownership and um you know a, a lot of the time with good cause too and um so, yeah, a lot of the reaction is negative I think um you know at best i think I think there are people that do understand that the team wasn't really going to do anything this year, and um it is nice to see them sort of as I've called it, sort of choose a direction and get out of this. They've sort of been in sort of purgatory the last couple of years where you know, they might be okay if something breaks their way, but um, just kind of playing in the middle of the pack. And I'm glad to see them sort of shift gears from that. But um, I think mainly it's it's disappointing that they got to this point. Um, You know, in a vacuum, you know, just, you know, this week, yeah, it makes sense that they should get rid of those guys. They should, you know, Um, try and reload in some way. But um, I think they really, um, they made a mistake not adding as aggressively in maybe 2014, 2015, 2016, when they were still trying to contend. But um, I think they tried to be a little too cute about it. I think, you know, Neil Huntington has made some very good moves, but then, um, you know, then kind of tried to be, um, you know, they traded Neil Walker for John niece. Yeah. And it was one of those moves where,
2: man, that feels like forever ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It really does. Um, it was like, if you squinted at it, it was like, okay, maybe Nice puts it together in Pittsburgh and maybe Walker, um, was due to fall off and maybe it makes sense. And it, seem like so many moves like that um after that where it's just you know it it you could potentially envision a a situation where that worked out for the pirates but it um never really did and um and they uh they didn't really add through a lot through free agency or things like that i I didn't expect them to be a big spending club, but they were, um, they took a lot of, it took some unnecessary risks with the roster for several years for a team that you would think if, if they're finally trying to compete, you would think maybe that's the time to spend a little bit more, you know, not be quite as, um, penny pinching as they, uh, as they have been, as they're known for. And that didn't change. And that was, that was pretty disappointing and I think that kind of led to where we are today. And, um, so, you know, given where they are, I think, you know, I can stomach the idea of trading Garrett Cole and McCutcheon, people like that. But, um, you know, it's, it's never going to be a fun thing, but it's kind of, uh, you know, it's disappointing. It's the end of an era. It's that, that, uh, you know, they they went through the 20 years of losing and finally got back. You know, a lot of people's, um, you know, a lot of fans' entire lives or most of their lives that they had uh, not seen winning baseball, not seen competitive baseball or playoff baseball or anything like that. And they got there, and that was great, but they uh, they didn't really cash in on that, and they're kind of – Back on the outside, as uh, um, you know, fairly quickly. So that's kind of um, you know that that's disappointing to deal with, and that you know it's it's just driven home even more when they uh, you know when you see chorus tones like that. Yeah.
2: Well, you could also just see the writing on the wall, which is you know you talked about like the pirates. Obviously, they've been in this very like seventy-ish, sixty-ish win. Uh, territory for a long time. The Brian Giles years, the Kip Wells years, not to give you PTSD, Jason Bay and all that kind of stuff, yeah. but uh, <laughs> that's kind of where it felt like they were heading. Like their highest war player last year was Josh Harrison and they won 75 games and it was three less than they won the year before and they they won 98 in 2015. But you could tell that this was a team, I think, that you weren't going to see this like rise back up because they had seasons... They were. It just felt like they were moving back towards those Pirates of old. And they finally, I think I don't think they got ahead of it because the returns weren't incredible. But we still have to see what happens with Harrison, who's very much open, it seems like, to yeah. be moved. That's maybe the biggest uh, thing, I think, from this offseason is what uh, Huntington's able to get for Josh Harrison, potentially. And, you know, I think Sterling Marte is an interesting case he was their highest warm player for the two years prior but mccutcheon he's just not who he was on that 88 win team that went to that last card he's just it's a different time and i think it's it sucks but this is a team that was probably going to win even less games this year than 75 when you look at the nl central and i think that's one of the more potentially the most defensible part of what they're doing is that the brewers are ahead of schedule the Reds, I think, are going to be a lot better than they were a year ago. And you have the Cardinals and the Cubs both trying to win World Series for the next couple of years. When you add all that up, it's just this is the time. It's unfortunate that that's where they're at right now, but you mentioned they missed their window. That window was from 2013 to 2015. And I guess maybe you could make the case a little bit for 2016, but obviously that season did not go the way they were hoping. And now they're kind of in that Baltimore Orioles zone where – they're not good en- They weren't gonna be good enough to make the playoffs, but they weren't gonna they had too much talent to really bottom out. And now I think they're inching closer and closer to get younger and get a little bit better and kind of replenish the farm system and change gears. That I think is a positive. It's just it's gonna be a while because the NL Central is really, really top heavy now. And a lot of those teams I think are gonna be good for the next couple of years. And the Pirates Needed to reset the the window. Unfortunately, is closed, and they're changing gear. So we'll see. But uh, I'm very interested to see what happens with Harrison and what the market looks like for him because I think he's a really good player, and he's still not even 30 yet. I think he's what 29, and I think they need to get younger. I think they need to get more guys that are closer to like the Sterling Marte Blanco timelines and kind of um, transition into that uh, younger era with, and we'll see what happens, but like I think you just kind of have to be bad with Josh Bell, Marte, and, McCutche- Ina, and Polanco, and go from there. But you know, hey, you have a really good closer. That's nice, and maybe <laughs> yeah. a good setup guy. <laughs> there you go. By yeah, I,
1: they. It was funny they announced an ex- like they they didn't really. Get, I don't think they gained. They didn't get any years of control, but they they bought out his arbitration years. Rivero Felipe Rivera's arbitration years yesterday too like an hour or two after the mccutcheon news broke they announced an extension it was really a strange time to do that it was kind of yeah i don't know i guess it just kind of uh those things coincided um i don't think they were going to get a whole lot of uh positive pr out of that but it was uh um it was funny i i think they you know they kind of, uh, they make their moves kind of regardless of what the public's going to think. So I, it, it was just, it was strange to see them announce that, you know, at the same time as, you know, just, you know, nothing else was going to matter. Andrew McCutcheon left. So that's, and I get the, uh, you know, the, the romanticism around that he was a, you know, more than a once in a generation player. So. Um, you know, no one was really going to be concerned with anything else at that point.
2: Would you trade Marte? Um,
1: hmm. I wonder. uh,
2: I think it depends on what they get for Yelich, the Marlins specifically, because I would be intrigued. Like the Braves end up getting Yelich and they give up to top pitching prospects or something like that. I. I don't know. I think I'd be interested. I'm listening to basically everybody, right? Like, who is on this, like, on the main roster right now? Who on the opening day, starting lineup, are you really just like, we can't move this guy? I, I, like, I guess Marte would be the toughest one to part with, maybe, or Polanco. Who is it?
1: Marte would probably be the toughest. He's the most talented. He's the one they probably have the most invested in, I think. Um, his value, maybe, you know, training him now would probably be, it, that might be a mistake, unless you, if you can get proper value for him, I guess. But, um, coming off a year where he had a PED suspension and didn't play well before or after that, yeah, um, you might not get the most for him. But, um, it's the thing with these moves, too, that, um, Trading Garrett Cole and not necessarily getting, you know, I, I I don't know what Colin Moran is right now. I guess he's um, he's had a very uh, sort of up and down career in the minors so far, but um, I guess he's trending back up. But um, they didn't get that elite level talent that's hard to get in Pittsburgh unless you draft and develop that. So that was sort of, you know, that's the way the Pirates need to get someone like Garrett Cole. And it was sort of disappointing to see them move him and not get sort of someone who could become more of a star. Someone that's hard to get that you need to use, you know, your draft picks or, um, you know, your top trade assets like that to get into the organization. So. Moving forward I think there is a lot of pressure on Marte to um and about back in Meadows to he um he had a rough year a little bit of a rough year last year for him to pan out and for Polanco he's been he has a lot of talent but um he's gotten hurt a lot, which isn't necessarily his fault, but um he he's been a bit uh he's been pretty inconsistent. And, um, you know, people kind of wonder what he's uh, ultimately going to be for this team. So there's, you know, when, when you're um, getting rid of sort of the more elite players, like that elite talents, you know, Pittsburgh can't, uh, or at least doesn't go, um, you know, get those guys on the open market. And, so i i think um you know the those really special talents they they need to uh they really need to hope they they pan out in the next few years if they're uh, if they're going to do something with them around
2: yeah it uh it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this team Ultimately, though, who do you think fans are going to miss more over the next couple of years, Cole or McCutcheon?
1: Excuse me. Um, Well, I mean, McCutcheon is the sentimental guy. He's a sentimental favorite. He, you know, he was around for, you know, four years of losing when he came up. He was the savior he was um you know the guy and i don't uh i I think cole is going to be the better player moving forward he's younger he's um he's had some struggles but he hasn't you know he has a lot more ahead of him than i think mccutcheon does and um so i don't know i think people will miss mccutcheon i don't I don't necessarily think he'll be putting up um, you know, like MVP level numbers or anything like he once did that would uh, have people watching, you know, really lamenting his loss. I think it's more just sort of, um, you know, he was a good player and everyone loved him here and people are just sort of upset. He's gone. And sort of the details around that don't, quite matter so much to a lot of people. Um, Cole, on the other hand, he'll be, you know, he'll be the better player out of the two. Like I said, um, I, I still believe he's going to make a lot of money. I'm, I'm surprised that on the surface, he didn't bring back a, uh, a trade, a, a return in a trade that maybe, uh, would have been expected. Maybe, um, you know, for a guy that uh, I think is a really good pitcher, and um, I I expect he'll play you know two good years in Houston and um, probably get paid. He you know he wasn't going to stay in Pittsburgh after that point after two years, but um, but he's going to be good. So I I I think McCutcheon's the bigger sentimental loss to answer your question. People yeah. will miss him more. Um, well there's
2: an ESPN article today saying well uh basically that fans may never forgive the pirates for treating him, which I thought was a little hyperbolic and kind of silly. Yeah. He means yeah. a lot here
1: though. Yeah, I get it. I mean I, I get it. It is it is a little out there, it is a little silly, but um
2: And pretending that yeah, that's, fans
1: that's kind wouldn't... of the pulse of
2: Pittsburgh. Yeah, and I don't look I, I don't obviously I'm not an expert on the Pittsburgh fan base. But something tells me if he kept trending the way he was and the pirates were terrible again this year, even if they kept him in Cole, I think there would be like by either this summer or next summer, fans would be like, okay, we gotta move on from McCutcheon before this just gets even worse. I think Yeah. It's more that they got ahead of it and fans still think there's something left there and you gotta keep them, because I just there's not many guys fans are like okay with keeping no matter how sentimental of a figure they are, if you get bad enough, like <sighs> I just I think they want to move on and they they want to be good. Ultimately, fans just care about winning, and I think it's sad. And you can always like when he retires, you can still retire his number, you can still do a ceremony, you can do anything you want. But I don't know. I think it's it's always silly when I see stuff like that. They'll never forgive them. No, do you know when Uh, they'll forgive the Pirates for trading him when they're back in the playoffs? Yeah, that's when I I agree
1: with that. And ultimately, that's. The way fans' wallets were going to speak anyway. They weren't going to draw a whole lot of fans, um, you know, get a whole lot of interest this year if they're, you know, on the way to winning 70 games, no matter who was on the team. Yeah. Um,
2: but going but to that part there though, is a big plus. too. It, uh, it's kind
1: of. It's one thing I. It, it's a double edged sword, but I, I'm kind of glad that this this management group doesn't really, they uh, clearly care pretty much nothing about PR and that's kind of okay if they're doing the right things to win. But, um, but I think, I think Pittsburgh, at least Pirates fans, they, um, they can get a little, um, I don't know, fatalistic is the right word, but you know, sort of like when, any time the Red Sox before, you know, before the World Series um, wins, anytime you know, they would choke in the playoffs or anything like that. It's like, here we go again, people expecting the worst. If a star player leaves the Pirates, especially in a trade, um, it can happen in free agency too. It's been more trades in recent years. It's like, oh, no, ownership doesn't care. Management doesn't care. Um, you know, it, 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 everybody feels like they're, you know, everybody should go boycott the team kind of thing. And, um, I get where that comes from. Um, I, I, I certainly have, uh, legitimate concerns with management and with the way ownership has, um, invested in the team or lack thereof once they, they did get good. But, um, anytime, there's uh you know a, a big name player leaving the pirates it's like there's going to be a really uh really negative reaction towards the team whether it makes sense or not because i um you know i uh, personally i expected you know i expected them to move these guys i think a lot of people expected them to move these guys but um yeah it uh it just it, it gets really nasty when they do and um you know hopefully it'll work out and I, I'm sure those people will be back when they, uh, you know, when they're contending, but, um, yeah, it's it, right now. I, I think, um, I don't know there's, uh, in a lot of places, there's not a whole lot of uh place for reason. And I, uh, I don't know. It's a weird thing to explain because it's, it's not quite how I feel, but, um, it's how a lot of people feel and just sort of the pulse of uh, what's going on in Pittsburgh. So I think um, eventually the conversation will settle down a little bit and um, you know, the the people who do care will kind of stick around and assess what's still around. And um, you know, I think, I think there were people that knew that uh, they had to move these guys, but um, that is kind of, it's always traumatic for Pittsburgh when a guy leaves the pirates because, um, I don't know if it's just the whole, you know, when bonds left and then they didn't win for 20 years kind of thing, or, uh, just that it kept happening so often for them, you know, when they has, you, you know, through the nineties, the, you know, they have one or two good players that would end up leaving or, you know, something like that. But, uh, it's definitely a, uh, I don't know. It's an interesting, uh, interesting situation can be, uh, kind of, I don't know, tough to navigate as, uh, as a fan or as, uh, as if you're trying to analyze it, I guess.
2: All right. I think it's a good way of ending it. it's, this is a tough team to analyze and we don't really know what to think right now but you know i think josh harrison knows what to think and that is if you're not contending trade me so we'll see what happens there but eli i really appreciate you taking the time this is a lot of fun yeah thanks for having me is there anything uh you'd like to plug before we get out of here
1: um just just bucks dugout I, uh, yeah bucs dugout um, it's the S P nation pirates blog. I, um, I've been writing for the site for a couple of years now. I took over as a co-manager, um, the middle of last season. It's at one point, and, um, you know, still just sort of, uh, yeah, trying to, you know, have conversations about the buckos and see, uh, just, uh, kind of see what I can do out there. So, um, yeah just check us out over there
2: perfect we will do that keep up the great work sir and we will talk again soon maybe when the pirates are back contending so i will talk to you in 2023 (laughs) i look forward to it all right eli thank you thanks All right, part B forever. Brad Rowland returns to the podcast uh, to talk about Miles Plumley and the Atlanta Hawks. No, we're not going to be talking about that. Maybe one day, unlocked <laughs> on Lockdown Hawks will. Uh, Brad will allow me to to basically give me the platform where I can just feel okay to just spend fifteen minutes railing against uh, the Atlanta Hawks choosing to play Miles Plumley at all at the five. But no, Brad Rowland's here. Uh, to talk about a variety of NBA things tonight, Brad. Good evening. How are you doing with the Atlanta weather? Because I have not checked outside recently. Is it snowing? Are are we trapped in our homes tonight?
0: Uh, it was supposed to, so I'm prepared to be trapped. Uh, i have not. I've not been outside in a few hours now, so uh, I'm not 100 percent sure. And uh, by the way, the uh, the open invite exists to come on the Atlanta Hawks podcast to discuss all things. And If that means a, a 20 minute pl- plumbly episode, that's what we'll. That's what we'll do.
2: Okay, I can do that. I can do. John Collins is actually their best player, but you could also. Ooh. say whatever.
0: Yeah. The, t- the takes. The takes flow. I like it. Listen, you you won't you won't be alone in that in that because I think a lot of Hawks fans think he's like the next. I don't know pick transcendent superstar x and they, th- they, th- they think he's that so that'll be a point of attention but anyway we'll, we're here to talk about everything so uh, let's uh, let's do it <laughs> uh
2: man you, you you just that was a good way of segueing away from that because i was going to reel off another hawk's take but i'm going to i'm going to stay away from because uh, <laughs> <that. laughs> john collins don't think he's the next superstar but you know what i do think he's going to be a very good player and a guy who's just always raking in positive plus minuses every single night for whatever reason mostly for offensive rebounds but i'm sure there are other things a team you know the hawks are doing poorly they're trying to do poorly but a team that's not trying to do poorly is the cleveland cavaliers and things came to a head this week they got drubbed by the warriors they've lost several in a row to them now it just this has happened before a couple years ago i believe the warriors had won like six or seven straight and then they ended up winning the nba finals but that Depending on who you talk to, that may have had more to do with uh, Draymond Green getting suspended and them just being tired from winning 70 plus games and that kind of thing. But ultimately, it looks like the Cavs are at a crossroads and they're in a really weird situation. And Colby Altman is getting his first test because he has not really had to make any kind of real monumental decisions yet uh, regarding this team. And now he's he's in a really tough bind because he I mean he has the Brooklyn pick so it's a good situation to be in to figure out what you want to do with that but obviously the Nets are playing really good basketball this year and they're not good it doesn't look like that's going to be a top three pick and you know uh, it's it's weird they don't really have that many great trade options because they need a lot of those guys on this roster if they want to compete so it's just like what can we get with Channing Fry's seven million dollar expiring contract? Or will someone please finally take Iman Shumpert and kind of just hoping J.R. Smith figures things out because he's been really, really bad for them and it doesn't look like that's going to change and maybe he needs to transition away to a 12- to 14-minute-a-night rotation guy and they still have Dwayne Wade there. Um, it's, it's a weird situation, but James Herbert of CBSSports.com, great NBA writer, put out a piece today uh, 10, that basically highlighted 10 potential trade targets for the Cavs. DeAndre Jordan is obvious on this list. But the one and Scott Rafferty, my um, guy, we are in this email back and forth for a piece we're both working on this week uh, surrounding the Cavs situation, but George Hill was mentioned in that piece, and I love that idea. I think it makes a lot of sense. I don't think it makes them uh, a, that much more of a threat to, uh, to actually beat the Warriors in a 7 series, but like Tom Ziller pointed out in his uh, great SB Nation column today, it's time to accept that the Warriors are just winning it this year no matter what and you know george hill would make the Cavs uh the defense i think they're what still 29th defensive efficiency right now uh that much better and any way we can get him out of sacramento and back on a good team i'm here for and he he belongs on a good eastern conference team so that was my number one pick out of that list who did you see and who do you think makes a lot of sense for this team right now
0: yeah hill doesn't make sense i do think that it'd be do you say he doesn't uh, well, or does? He does. He does. Okay. He does. Um, I would say it's it might be a little bit tough to get him there just because I don't see the incentive for Sacramento to take on what it would need to match salary to do that kind of deal. You know, George Hill is overpaid, um, but not in a ridiculous way, provided he's healthy. Um, but you know, in order to get to the nineteen-ish million that he's being paid, um, you have to probably take either Shump or Shump and Fry or. Uh, JR and uh, Fry and uh, I'm not sure why the Kings do that unless um, the Cavs throw in either their first round pick or Chetty Osman uh, or both maybe I'm not really sure um, so I don't know I, mean, I, I kind of like that but at the same time you have Isaiah Thomas can those two guys play together um, I'm sure they could but then you're, you're fairly small especially against the Warriors so I wouldn't mind that I mean, he'll obviously mix them better it's just uh, my, my overall can take on this list is this kind of A lot of these guys would make them better, but just not better enough for me to care. I mean, I mean, care is a strong word, I guess, but I mean, these guys matter. You got you got Courtney Lee on the list. They keep interesting Kent Bazemore. Yeah, like a couple guys that are like that would help them on the wing a lot. I think for me, they need a wing more than anything, which is kind of weird because they have Jr. and Shump. And uh, what's going to burn them ultimately is just the Jr. contract. I mean, if he's going to be this bad. For as long as he's under contract, that's gonna kill them in a lot of ways. I mean, even if LeBron were to stay, um, it just kills their flexibility. Um, and they just ha- you know, I understand why they had to pay JR because he had he had been so good on the title team and even last year at times, but uh, he's been openly bad as you as you discussed. I think they just, you know, they need a wing upgrade, and that's just a weird thing to say out loud because of the fact that they have so much money invested in their wings and I, I just think they're better when lebron is playing the four even the five at times like if they t- if they have to take off uh, kevin love for defensive purposes they just need all these wings they need jay crowder to play like jay crowder is supposed to play which we've seen some flashes of you know jeff green's been okay for them but i will say um if you have to pick one guy to make them better it's probably who? um i would probably honestly say it's deandre only because he would just make them like, he's just better than Tristan in every way. And I think he's just the best player on the list. I think Marcus all is an interesting thought process and thought concept. So you think
2: He's better than Mark right now. Uh, only
0: because I think like sneakily Marcus all is really, really falling off on defense. Like it's to the point where I think he's like almost unplayable against the warriors defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Deandre would still have some tough matchups, but um, he is still a good defender. I think you know. Two years ago, I would have told you Marcus Gasol was a lot better defender than DeAndre Jordan. Um, whereas now, I think DeAndre is pretty solidly better than Marcus Gasol. It's kind of there, there's very little reason to pay attention to Memphis right now because they're really bad. And is still a wonderful offensive player, but I just have a hard time thinking he can stay on the floor against the Warriors for a big time series. And that's also the, the big problem with Cleveland, among others, is that can you play Kevin Love the 35 minutes he probably needs to play? And I don't think you can. So and I mean the best way to do that would be just add wings. So pick your pick your wing of choice, whether you're you know your Courtney Lee, your Kent Basemore, your Jonathan Simmons, uh, even Derek Favors would be interesting because he's just more mobile than these guys are. Um, but I mean nobody on this list is enough for me to think that it's gonna make it all that more interesting, even if they would certainly be helped by a guy like Basemore or Lee.
2: Yeah, I don't yeah, I know who the right guy on this list is. I don't think it's DJ. There
0: is there isn't one. That, that's that's the thing for me. There, there just isn't one. I don't think it's DJ either. I wouldn't do that. Like, I mean, if it's gonna take the Brooklyn pick, I, I certainly would not even entertain that. Um, I, I, there's not a guy available short of Oklahoma City punting on Paul George where it's worth it to invest the Brooklyn pick. Um, but I, think, I, I, I really think like Gasol and Jordan are just are quote too good. I'm not sure that there's a deal that exists for those guys without the Brooklyn pick, and I wouldn't give it. So maybe if you do their own pick and Osman, uh, that would be enough to get one of them because of the contract stuff for both sides and the expiring nature of DeAndre. But do you want to do that? It's it's a lot for a marginal upgrade because as weird as that sounds, because both those guys are all star level players in the recent past. When, when Golden State's the team you're trying to beat, I'm not sure that a a, a, a completely traditional center is the way to do that.
2: Yeah, yeah, I don't I don't want to add another center to this mix. I think the Cavs need to stray away from that, and I think they had the right idea of like. I think that was part of the reason they wanted Jay Crowder, who also we haven't really talked about, hasn't really panned out for them this year. And there are other factors, especially with the mom situation he had to deal with over the, the offseason and all that and not coming into sh- uh, camp in shape and things like that. He's not shooting well and it has been great, but, you know. Uh, they need
0: they need him badly. And that's the thing with, I think I was Brian Winterhorst and I heard talk about this, but. I mean, if you if you look at this Cavs team and you just projected what they thought they were gonna get from Crowder and J.R. Smith, things would be a lot different. I yeah. think if they if they had those guys playing, you know, even even slightly below average what you would think from them, they would be in much better shape. It's just they've both been really bad. I think Crowder's shown some signs lately. Um but like, you know, on the whole, you could probably argue that Jeff Green's been as good as Jay Crowder, which Oh no. I mean in, that's bad.
2: Obviously. Darkness.
0: Yeah, I mean Jeff Green's actually been kind of kind of decent for them, yeah. but um, given the money, but they just they need at least one of the Crowder Jr. combo to turn it on in a big way,
2: or they're going to be in trouble. I would agree, and it's it's very alarming that Jeff Green has been as important as he's been right now. But you know, the Cavs, the, a team on this list, or I guess I, I should say a guy on this list that I do think would actually really help them is Bazemore. And Bazemore, you put him on a situation where he just stands in the corner and gets to play. Just He's still been a great defender if you watch a lot of Hawks games, which I, I feel pretty comfortable saying that you watch a lot of Baysmore this year. He's still playing at a high level and he still gives a damn. And I think that's hard on a team as bad as the Hawks are this year. Like him and Deadman have really just refused to give up in a lot of games. And even though this defense sucks, he still really, really tries. And I think if you put him... On a team like Cleveland, I, I do think he would actually be really a, just a perfect fit for that team. And you know, Torian Prince, if you could find if the Cavs could find a way to talk the Hawks into getting Baysmore and Prince, I think that's the way to go. I think they need to get more wing depth and not worry about the Gasols or the DJs of the world. And obviously, point guard is something they can't really do. But I think if you can't find a three and D upgrade at the two, which because I, I just. With Wade playing backup one and Jr being as bad as he's been and then just having Corver there, I think that's where they just have to focus on is what can they add in the wings? Because that's where they're going to really have to deal with the Warriors is with Draymond at the five, obviously, and Iggy and things like that. I'd rather just if you have to give up that Brooklyn pick for whatever reason, it's got to be for an above average wing. And it has to be someone that's going to help ease the burden for LeBron, especially with how much he's playing uh, this season and how hard he's working every single game. I just, they really whiffed on a lot of things. And the Wade stuff is obviously not great. And Chetty Osmond's just not there. But would you entertain a Torian Prince and Bazemore to Cleveland for like Fry Shumpert, and like the Brooklyn pick? Ooh,
0: um, that is interesting. I will say... um... I would do it if I was Atlanta. I'm thinking. Uh, I haven't heard. I've, I've been thinking about Baltimore scenarios for a while now, but um, for Prince, in there's interesting. I do. I think the general concept of of them using the Brooklyn pick to get multiple guys who can help them, including a young guy in Prince, yeah, um, makes a lot of sense for Cleveland. I, if you're Atlanta, I think you probably do that. Um, you know, Brooklyn, I want to be a top three pick, but it could be. And I mean, it's the lottery still. I mean, you can get lucky, and I, I do think that it could, it's probably going to be somewhere in that six to eight range. Um, that's a very valuable pick. You know, Prince was the 12th pick, and I think he's on pace to live up to that um, based on the way he's playing this year. I don't think he's ever going to be a star, but he's a legitimate two-way wing, and those, those guys are valuable. Um, I don't know. It's it's very interesting. I think it all depends on how you feel, weirdly, about baseball because I am a big fan of Bays. I've defended him a lot. Um, with that said, I always feel bad because he's still overpaid. It's not a situation where he's this awful player he could certainly help a lot of teams including Cleveland in a big way but if you offer me the chance to just dump him for nothing you have to do that if you're the Hawks because he's overpaid um so if you think of him as, as a negative asset uh and you're basically trading him and Torian Prince cuz I mean would you trade Torian Prince for the Brooklyn pick straight up I would do that probably oh yeah for sure so if you if you think if you th- if
2: you think of it that way would Mike Brunsonor even like what kind of Dance? Would he do if he was able to flip Torian Prince? I don't actually. I don't. Bit. I
0: don't think. But I, I don't think Budenholzer would like it at all because he's a really? guy. He, he doesn't like. I don't rookies. feel like he likes Prince. Well, maybe there's there's been some instances. I don't want to say that for sure. I mean, there's been some times where he uh, he's yanked Torian a little bit around. Um, same sort of the same way that Schroeder, though. And I think Budenholzer likes Schroeder, but he has sort of this on and off relationship with him. I think it could be the same, it could be the same with Prince. I don't know that to be true 100, hmm. percent but. Um, I just think Bud doesn't like the uncertainty of rookies. I think if he was still in charge of the front office, they would not be rebuilding. It's more of a coach mindset where you know what Prince is and you know he's a good player already, whereas the pick is just a pick. Um if you're a GM though, if you're if you're Travis Schlank and you're looking for premium assets, the Brooklyn pick is still a premium asset. Um and this draft is impressive. I don't think, you know, it's definitely um one of those things where you would hope that um I don't know. This is very weird. I think, I think I do it if I'm the Hawks. It's just one of those things. I'm, t- I'm talking myself something in a circle here, but, um, I, for, um, for Fry and Shump on itself, I probably wouldn't do just, for the, just because I think Shump is bad and it's one year, it's one year less contract and Fry's expiring. I don't really care about Fry's expiring very much because the Hawks, of course, this year are not very good, but so yeah, I guess I would do that if I was the Hawks. I'm just trying to break it down in my mind, but yeah, you do that. And if you're Cleveland, I don't know that I would do that, but if you think that's the only way that LeBron's going to stay is if you go all in for this year and you're not worried about the Brooklyn pick, that's that's the big question for Cleveland that no one else can answer, including them, without LeBron telling them, is you know how much does LeBron value this year versus that pick? Because he was if he's going if he's thinking about leaving, he doesn't care about that pick. He wants to win this year, so it's all about what that asset actually means. If it's a difference between keeping LeBron and losing LeBron, then you just got to cash it in and do whatever you can. If it doesn't matter and all things are equal, you probably hang on to it and just pray LeBron stays and that lengthens your window. Because if you're suddenly adding a, a, a rookie on a, a bargain basement contract for, for four, five, six years, seven years of, of team control for a team like Cleveland with huge luxury tag issues, you need that kind of cost savings. So it's all about LeBron. But uh, yeah, I think I would do that if I was the Hawks, if I was Cleveland you just need more intel because we just kind of don't know. As a pure asset play, it does. It, it was definitely it definitely favors the Hawks, but if you throw in the factor that Cleveland wants to win the title this year, it might lean a little bit closer in that way. So it's interesting. I have not thought about that.
2: Either way, we need to get over this whole if Cleveland can win the, if they want to win the title because they don't really have a choice anymore.
0: So oh, like I'm, Cavs, Twitter, I'm with you 100%.
2: It's just it's... not happening. <laughs> Tom Ziller's definitive piece. Everyone should read it. Was so sad, but it's it's really good. It's it's I time. Just...
0: It is. I, I just think it's. Uh, they're in this really weird spot where any other team, like I think, if you have a ten percent chance to win the title, you kind of have to go. And Cleveland just has LeBron, and he's in this. Do you think that's ten
2: percent? That seems
0: no. High. I mean, yeah, it's probably not. If you, if you assume they get to the finals, it becomes ten percent because I mean, we saw a couple years ago. Obviously, they were a huge underdog, and they won the series. Like weird stuff can happen in a series. Yeah. Um. But I mean, it's just there's so many dynamics in play because LeBron's a free agent. If LeBron wasn't a free agent in the summer, then I, I don't think you entertain that deal at all because the urgency level goes down just a tad. And because Golden State's obviously this prohibitive favorite. But because LeBron can walk and you have, you have to do everything you can to try to keep him, you almost have to still go all in even knowing, even knowing it's a bad idea, if that makes sense.
2: Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, the yeah. underrated team in this list for me is the jazz because they're in this weird purgatory situation now too because they've obviously struck gold with donovan mitchell who looks like a future all-star which is awesome and you know it's a good story based on losing hayward for nothing and them doing everything the right way and still losing their star sad story but it looks like it's gonna work out and they're really smart organization and quinn snyder obviously Like, we both know when he was in Atlanta and just what he was able to do with Jeff Teague and just how good he is at developing guards and things like that. But Favors is mentioned in this piece as a potential target, and, like, he's on the last year of his deal, and Favors really works as a five. Like, when Gobert's been out, he's just, he's basically been perfectly fine. He's not a four in today's NBA, but he is a very good five. And there are stretches where I could see the Cavs just burying teams in the Eastern Conference playoffs when they do decide, if they were to acquire someone like favors to kind of just bury teams with favors love lineups for stretches of games because of just how good a rebounders both those guys are and how skilled offensively both of them are. So something like that is interesting, but I think I would go a step further with Utah because Utah has just a lot of pieces and they have a lot of decisions to make with a lot, of, a lot of different guys now with Rubio and, you know, Alec Burks and Rodney hood, who's quietly had a down year and is knocking people's phones away and you know, I think <laughs> I would I would call them. Like, what do, what do they want for Joe Johnson? He's in the last year of his deal. I think Utah actually makes a lot of sense as a trade partner for Cleveland because they have a lot of guys that, if they're not making the playoffs, and I don't think Utah's making the playoffs, I think I would start looking at potentially seeing, you know, would the Cavs give up the Brooklyn pick for Rodney Hood and Derek Favors and Joe Johnson?
0: I... I wouldn't do it. I, I, for me, I wouldn't. I think you need, if you're Cleveland, you almost have to have an assurance from LeBron that you're just not going to get. I mean, everything we know from LeBron so far, publicly at least, is that he's not going to give them that assurance that he's going to stay. And if you don't know he's going to stay, I don't think you can do that. Just I, I think I'm probably lower on Rodney Hood than the consensus, which makes that even more of an interesting decision. There's something to be said for like, I think if the Cavs make, make a move, any of these moves like this, if they just sure up with one more you know, guy who is a legitimate rotation piece, they become the sizable favorite to reach the finals again. And there's really, there's big value in that. I think there's still, for me, I still pick them against the field in the East um, just because it's LeBron and I just can't not do that. Um, But if, if they make another move and actually add another player, like even if they get one of these guys like favors or even Baysmore, they are for me, a solid favorite to return to the finals. And if that's good enough, through the prism of the what, what what happened last time in 2016, where they just won the title because they got there and things broke their way, um, then fine. But I'm just I think I'm a little on Rodney Hood. Than most people do, so than most people are, I should say. So I think that probably dampens my enthusiasm about that I a mean, I I think he's sort of an empty scorer type of guy. I don't really see him doing a whole lot to help winning basketball. But I've long had that thought. So it's not hmm. like situation. I'm not saying he's bad. It's just. He's not getting any better, and he's actually sneaky, not that young because he was an older guy coming out of the draft. So I think he, I think this is kind of just what he is, and what he is is a fine starter, but like not much more than that, if at all. Because I just don't know. Like he's I a you right if, it, if he stays it. on Utah
2: without yeah, another number might, one is. option around him. But if he's a complimentary player to like LeBron and Isaiah, I just feel like he looks a lot better.
0: You would. You're right. I mean, I'll, especially. I think his shooting would play up in a big way. He's quietly had the best three point shooting season of his career this year, which is definitely a good thing. He's having the best year of his career, which is nice. Which
2: is weird because he's a fourteen point PER.
0: Yeah, I mean he's not been efficient, um, except for three point shooting. Like his field goal percentage is a career low, but his three point percentage is a career high. So he's just he's taking more threes um, than he ever has. He's not really. I mean, he doesn't do anything else. You you, you look at his box score stats which aren't everything, but he doesn't rebound. He doesn't, he doesn't He doesn't create assists or, I mean, really steals not much. He's just, he's a, he's a pure score shooter type, which is You're telling fine. me the
2: perfect person to pair next to LeBron.
0: Right. I mean, he's a catch and shoot guy. He'd be great with LeBron. There's no question about that. He would, he'd probably average 20 a game even if, even as like a third or fourth option, he'd probably average 18, 20 a game because that's a perfect role for him. But, I, just, I mean, you can get other, you can get guys in that role for less than what you have to give up for, for Rodney Hood. I think, and
2: well, I mean, what if you didn't give up the Brooklyn pick? What if you just like package Corver, Crowder, and Fry to Utah for Rodney Hood, Joe Johnson, and, like Udo, who's been great for them and would be a nice rent protector to just add? Um,
0: and Cleveland. oh, if I was if I was if I was Cleveland, my operating um sort of mandate right now would be we are going to move Chetty Osman and or our own first round pick to get better. I would not trade the Brooklyn pick cause I just don't see anybody out there that I, that's worth it. Um, short of your, I actually think your idea is a good one. Like the comp, the combo, like two assets for the Brooklyn pick kind of thing, whether it's, you know, Prince and Baysmore or, um, or favors and hood. That's, that makes, that makes some sense. I don't love that, but it does make more sense. To just I would trade see what Orlando
2: him. would do with, uh, Aaron Gordon. I would float the Brooklyn pick if you if Orlando was like willing to move. I don't know, like Simmons and Gordon, and may, or maybe Fournier and Gordon. If you, I would be very tempted to do the Brooklyn pick for Simmons and Gordon. I think.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, you, you, I think for me, you know, the point is a good one in that you just need multiple assets in order to do that. But I would be trying more than anything to just use their own first rounder and Osman as the sweeteners to go out and get a a baysmore type or a lee type or somebody like that that that, that makes a little bit more sense it's it, it's a, it's an all-in move in the sense that you're using a future asset on the present um but it isn't the ultimate nuclear all-in move where i think you know above all else you need that brooklyn pick if lebron leaves because that suddenly is your number one asset by a wide margin and you just if, if you if you trade that asset away and lebron leaves I mean, what, what your roster is going to be just very, very bleak. I mean, I know, you have, I know you have Kevin Love. Kevin Love's very good, but if Kevin Love's your number one option, we've kind of already seen that before in Minnesota, that's a 35-win team. And with that, with how much it's going to cost Dan Gilbert to win 35 games with that team, like, you better have that Brooklyn pick, is all I'll say. If you're going to lose LeBron, you, you just need to have at least the hope of a top five, six, seven pick. And that's, if you don't have that, if you lose both, it's really,
2: really tough. I have a take for you. Bring it. If you lose LeBron, you're screwed. It for the next five years, anyway. I don't think the Brooklyn I agree pick is going to make. I don't think it's going to make or break the Cavs rebuild by keeping that pick because I just don't think it's going to be that great of a pick, and it's going to be. And you know what? I also don't believe in. I don't believe in the Cavs' ability to develop young players. Uh
0: that's a separate argument for sure. I mean, we kind of don't know. I think, I think Ty Lue is not my favorite head coach in the league. Um, and we kind of don't know about the front office. I mean, Altman's done smart. I I, I liked. Um, what they did for, for the Kyrie trade it hasn't worked perfectly so far, and obviously it was mandated by him wanting out. But still, it's yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't. I don't. I don't disagree with that. I. I just think.
2: I don't know if, if I'm a Cavs fan, sell, I would. I would rather just go all in, and if LeBron leaves, LeBron leaves when we're done, and then we just f- trade everybody. But... I just think it's hard. Though. Like honestly, if you look at
0: it though, I'm. I understand that completely. But if you look at the the actual logistics of that,
2: mm-hmm.
0: it is going to be really brutal because they're almost going to be too good but in a ugly horrible way like you'd have to yeah. have a plan to golf of love like you, they're going to have all these high price guys that they're still paying I mean Tristan Thompson Kevin Love uh even Jay Crowder like they they have too many guys to be just terrible which is what they want to be um, Jay
2: Crowder can help if he continues at his Yeah yeah
0: if, <laughs> if yeah if him and JR and Shump are this bad then Sure. Just Honestly,
2: that's all I have to do. Just play Jr. Shump and uh, Jay Crowder for thirty six they, minutes a piece next year.
0: They'd be the first ever team in the history of the league that's paying like a two hundred million dollar luxury tax bill and tanking at the same time.
2: Fantastic.
0: I'm. It would be. This. It'd be impressive. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're just a fan of uh, un- unintentional comedy, if you just really don't like the Cavs, I know a lot of Hawks fans that I deal with really don't like the Cavs because of playoff stuff. Um, if if you're a Hawks fan that doesn't like the Cavs, you would certainly love that scenario because it would get ugly in a hurry.
2: And bring back uh, Derrick Rose. He can return next year and uh, carry the backcourt with JR and everything else. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think they have a lot of either way. They have a lot of interesting things that they can do. And I this piece is interesting um, to wrap up with that stuff. I I'm interested to see what they do because I think they're going to do something. And out of this list, uh, I'll I'll let you go first, but. Who do you think is the most likely guy if, to end up in a Cavs uniform this year? Out of the ten that he mentions, I I have one, but I'm not certain it's going to. Actually, I'm pretty confident it's not going to be the one that you think.
0: The most likely to end up in Cleveland, I will take the one of the two guys we have not mentioned at all. Okay, uh, and that is Nerlens Noel.
2: So. The Noel thing. Who was I listening? Oh, Stein on Nate Duncan's podcast today, basically said because the more likely situation is him getting bought out at this point. But another
0: another reason why I think he could be, I think it's just it's just as likely that he could be bought out. Yeah, I was gonna say he doesn't get traded to the
2: Cavs. Maybe he just signs because he has Rich Ball as his agent with the Cavs. Exactly.
0: That's exactly what it is. I I think there's a chance they could trade for him because um, you know Dallas would take pretty much anything. I'd imagine at this point in time. And if Cleveland offered anything they probably take it and if it gets bought out as you mentioned the sign angle and that just makes a lot of sense for dallas i think it's i think wouldn't cleveland have to be the prohibitive favorite to sign him, just I put the don't. pole angle and the fact that they have
2: i'm not going to pretend to end, know what the market is for noel and who he should go to because i am still stunned that it didn't work out in dallas i thought it was a perfect fit for him i was excited when he got moved there he was good there right away and it just i i don't know we've, we've come a long way. He's just like going to get snacks at halftime. I just, you know, his stuff is just so weird. And Rick Carlisle is just, it's a tough thing to figure out which guys are going to work for him and which ones aren't. And it just hasn't panned out and I'm still shocked. So I don't know what, I don't know who the right team for Noel is. And I also don't know if like he even plays if he gets moved to, if he signs with Cleveland as he may be
0: team. bad I mean yeah. I, I was uh I was I will cop to being wrong I, I was wanting the Hawks to throw an offer at him this this past summer uh as a as an asset play because of his age and the fact that I think he's a modern big and what he can do but when he you played this him year into
2: Deadman. yeah
0: and yeah when he played this year he was terrible and I mean Rick Carlisle is sort of noted for being a little bit finicky with the way he handles some young guys and point guards and stuff like that. He's not a point guard, obviously, but just the way that he handles some relationship stuff. But like, if you can't play in front of Maxi Kleber, like, uh, there's a reason. I mean, <laughs> Noel just. I, I'm not giving up on him entirely. I think if you're, if you're any team that's a, a that's trying to build for the future, you might want to take a look at him. Um, but I mean, Miami Kleber, makes
2: a lot of sense for me. Like, I, mean, I want to send everybody who's yeah, like, like kind of fallen out of favor on their current team, send them to Miami for their rehab program. If, the I, way was the Hawks, if I was they're able to rehabilitate these guys, it's great.
0: I mean, I, only because I think the Hawks are going to move a lot of their vets. They'll have some roster spots, and yeah. if you just get him and just have a look at him. It's the same thing. I mean, I'm not saying you just give up any, any real asset for him. It's the same thing as Mario Zonia. I would look at that's a guy I look for. Oh, now
2: you're speaking my language.
0: Hawks have a strong culture. They have a strong head coach. Um, Like. They have some success with some some building projects. They, you know, Bazemore and Damari Carroll and all these guys that they've sort of unearthed some value out of. Um, At the same time, they never really had a top-end, like former top-five, top-seven draft pick to actually try this Hawks University thing on. So I would just want to see what that looks like, like a guy that actually has lottery talent, whereas the Hawks have been really, really good at getting guys who are fringy to become solid players. What does it look like for if, for if Bud suddenly has a guy who has that top end talent and can he do something weird with that? I wouldn't give up any real asset though. Again, I, I'd, be tra- I'd, be, I'd be willing to trade a His second round pick for yeah. yeah, I mean, if you offer your whatever a bad second round pick for him and Dallas takes it, that's something you might look at doing. I'm not just the Hawks, just anybody. I wouldn't trade, it, you know, anything more than that for any any team in the league, especially with the conference situation because it's, you know, he has the, the, he has the, uh, the qualifying offer thing. He's not going to be under control. We'll have any bird rides next year, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, there's some reasons not to do that, but I don't know. I mean, going back to the Cavs thing, I will say I picked Noel because I don't think any of these guys are especially likely to end up in Cleveland. Um, individually. I think weirdly, I, I'd almost, I'd almost say Baysmore is the most likely, uh, aside from that, like of guys who I think would more realistically help Cleveland that they were target in a trade. I think I probably would pick either Courtney Lee or Kent Baysmore. Um, because the big men don't make sense to me, but maybe they'll go for the splash. I'm not. going We be agree wrong. with
2: that. I, they don't need any more big men, and I don't like the idea of like going at the Warriors by just getting bigger. I, no. I just I don't like that idea. Agree. I will say. So my pick. I have two things, and then we can transition to the Hawks quickly. <laughs> my pick is Courtney Lee. I think he's the most likely. Yeah. I think he would actually make a lot of sense for them. He seems like the right kind of vet that they would add at this point the deadline and. Just kind of a—he's a perfect Band-Aid trade deadline player. Oh, like please, please trade Shump back to the Knicks. There you go. Send Shump that would be back, incredible. Get the Hardaway Shump connection back together. Let's let's bring them oh, all back.
0: Sweet mercy, that would be beautiful.
2: Jr. Too? I, I like that though. No, well, no, that that <laughs> will not. Jr. Is, yeah, that that
0: can't happen. I can't allow Jr. to go back to the Knicks. Uh, but no, I I think Lee Lee is like Baysmore but cheaper, which is makes more sense for Cleveland. I would I would argue. He's so a better I'm, shooter. Yeah, he's a better pure shooter. I think Baysmore. I think all things equal, Bazemore might be a better player altogether. But he's a better fit with LeBron, I will say, because mm-hmm. of the shooting. Um, I agree, and he's cheaper again. Because like, as much as I like Kit Baysmore, I've defended him. You still got to pay the guy, you know, eighteen next year and nineteen the year after that. And that's even if he's a solid, even fringe starter level kind of player. That's just a lot of money for Kit Baysmore.
2: And just having another secondary playmaker and pick-and-roll player like Courtney Lee, who he's not just a shooter. He can do other things, and he can really help LeBron in that starting five. And if you're able to get any kind of help over JR at that spot, I think it's a it's a huge situation, um, huge upgrade for them. And then the other thing, and this is for Danny LaRue, shout-out to him, but the Mario Zonia stuff is, like, I, I'm i very much here for Mario Zonia. The trade for the magic with Mario Zonia is, unfortunately, I don't think it's the Nick. I mean, uh, the Hawks, but I would definitely be the first in line to get a Mario Zonia Hawks jersey. It's the Warriors. <laughs> so get Lordy. Spates and Hazonia yeah. in Golden State, and then you send Kevon Looney, JaVale McGee, and Nick Young to Orlando. It actually works in Trade Machine.
0: I mean, I'm not opposed to it. Uh, it I like where both like sides to see... get Spates
2: back, in or it, it, back where he belongs in Golden State, and then Mario Zonya gets a gets to that he like, that's just the team for him they're gonna play him with the four and he, who knows maybe you can figure it out in golden state but and then the magic can be more watchable because they get javel mcgee and nick young for the rest of the season
0: yeah i'm uh i'm here for anything that gets his own into a situation where he might actually work yeah i'm fine i still sort of believe there again i wouldn't trade a real asset for him anywhere but because Orlando's such a mess and he's his personality as such where he might just need to be in a better place, um, a better, more stable organizational place where he um, – yeah, that's probably the simplest way to put that. So, yeah, I'd love to see that. I still sort of believe in him uh, even if I didn't necessarily believe – it's kind of funny. I always flip on guys. I'm sort of the ultimate contrarian. Like I didn't like Hazonian in the draft, but now I like him because he's – people see people just think he's nothing. Same thing as Jalil Okafor. I still sort of believe in Jalokafor Okafor as like a weird asset because now people are just off. I was never really 100% on and now I'm like Did you watch the Hawks Nets game a couple nights
2: uh, ago?
0: I did. I I, I missed it live cuz I was traveling this weekend and I had to okay. rewatch and he had 17 points in 12 minutes and he didn't have a rebound. It was a weird performance.
2: Okay. Uh, Rathburn and Dominique were just hyperventilating every time he touched the ball. I I don't know if you were listening to them. Talk I did about not. Him. I
0: watched it uh I watched the uh cause, because because I was traveling. I was on on, uh, on League Pass where I was and I actually got actually had the Nets broadcast. So I've not seen the uh, Hawks broadcast. They so were
2: upset great. when he got taken out late and I forgot who they put uh, who Kenny Atkinson put back in for him, but they went small. So it was they went small to close out that game. And I don't remember who it was that they subbed him out for. I, it could have been lavert or it could have been ac maybe it was quincy ac but anyway he got subbed out and it was just like they were deflated that Jalil okafor had left the game and they were just he had like three straight possessions where he got the ball inside and was doing like he's obviously a talented post player but the idea that like he was having this huge impact in this game it it was it was amazing that they were just he's a perfect uh
0: yeah perfect more old school um Bucket getting big man. That's something that Nick, I can see Nick liking that kind of. I think
2: Nick really thinks he could be like Shaq. The way they were losing it every time he touched the ball, they were just. It, it was. I highly encourage everyone if you could go back and uh, listen to them talk about Jalen Okafor like he was, Joel Embiid in that Hawks game. It was, <laughs> it was ridiculous, but anyway, yeah, you know the Hawks have a lot of guys that uh, I think they can move. The only one I would say on this roster, would you agree? The only guy i would say is untouchable is collins i would trade everybody but that
0: i would i would trade everyone i I would have no
2: even collins
0: yeah i think i mean collins is is a great um find at number 19 in the draft it's a great value pick he's a very interesting prospect i think the love has gone a little bit too far from hawks fans on collins i I think people think he's like going to be a star and i don't i don't really see that i think he's going to be a very very good pick at number 19 overall that doesn't mean he's going to be a star. I think he's going to be very efficient. He can score. Um, He could be, he could, if at at his ultimate ceiling, I think he he could certainly be a 2010 type of guy. Um, But I think that's not exactly a normal slash median outcome for him. Um, So I'm not saying you market him. They're not, they're not going to start shopping Collins or I don't think they're going to shop Prince either. I think those two guys are Prince. I wouldn't, I just think, I mean, I think you take calls. I mean, if somebody wants to call, I mean, nobody's unavailable on this team for me. Um, but th- those are your two best assets by a pretty wide margin at this point in time. Because Dennis Schroeder is not a huge asset um, on his contract. Everybody else, you know, all the vets, like your deadmans, they're guys I like on the team. Um, but nobody else is like a, an incredible asset. I think you have two really, really good assets, and that's Collins and Prince, and of course, and every other asset on your on on your books is draft related in the future. So yeah, I think if you had to pick a guy who is the most untouchable, it's probably Collins. Followed by Prince, um, but I mean, for me, there's nobody on this team that I would cert- that I would hang up the phone on for any circumstance. Like they, everybody should be available.
2: Is it time to move on from Bimbry ever being a or, thing?
0: No, I, I I do I think that you know his ceiling is not super high, but I'd like to see him be healthy for six months. Um, that'd that'd be, good. be before I can bail on him. That's my whole thing. Like I, I admittedly was higher on him than most, and I could be. I'm if I had a guess now, I would guess he probably never becomes what I thought he would become. Um, but I think it's too early to say that he just won't be an NBA player. Um, but the thing was, like, at number twenty-one overall, and that's something I said overall. I never thought he was going to be a starter. Uh, I think, I think, I thought that was going to be a reasonable outcome that could happen. But the safest projection in my mind was always going to be like he'll be your eighth man, sort of hybrid, fill in the gaps, kind of bench wing, um, just all that stuff. That's still in play, in my opinion. I just don't think, um, that's necessarily the projected outcome anymore i think project, projected outcome is him bouncing around the league for a while never really being a thing and like you know being a six seven year nba player without doing much um but there's nothing wrong with that and again like the bus term will be thrown around i've, I've heard it a lot already it's number 21 in the draft like your expectations for that pick are not very high um if for instance if, if prince is a is, is a starting caliber player for the next six seven years uh, and that was your outcome with, with the 12 and 21 picks in that draft. If you get, if you get one starter and one guy who sort of toils around the league, you did fine. Like, I think people are panicking on, you know, I guess just first round pick, not being a thing, panics people, but you know, memory, I I still sort of believe, I just don't think it's as safe as it was. Cause it, it, his jump shots just never coming and uh, offense. It's kind of funny. Defensively, he's been really, really, really good, and offensively, he's kind of a mess. Which I'm not, i not—I would not have projected that. I thought he was a very pretty safe offensive prospect, and that just hasn't come up—has uh, not come to fruition at all.
2: Yeah, yeah. And you wouldn't—you want to see more from the playmaking stuff? Like that was the biggest intrigue with him—is his ability to bring the ball up, and, and it's been and his, bad uh, this year. Yeah, it's not uh,
0: good. Uh, I think it's still possible. I, 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 that could be a lot of, I, that could be a lack of reps too. It's kind of why I want to see him healthy—is that he missed the first month of the season um flukely he had this weird um, wrist thing in training camp and then he came in um sort of without any camp and played and then got hurt again and uh, now he's in the g league and hurt and it's like i mean give him a chance to play a half a season and if it's still not there then you got to kind of look to move on a little bit um but yeah offensively it's just been weird like he just looks completely out of sorts to me and there's a market for his defense if he can just be a passable offensive player, but like he wasn't even that. Like
2: But you know what's working for this team this year? It like it's weird to say a team this bad and bottom in the East is working is that all their veterans who they can flip the deadline are playing well. So baysmore's playing well, Bellinelli's playing well, Iliasova's playing well, deadman's playing amazing. Yep. There's a lot of guys that just on this team that even though the team itself is not getting any wins, they're all playing well. The only one who I would say like who doesn't help himself to just and it's also Probably just because of his usage rate, is Schroeder and Nate Duncan. Unfortunately, has ruined Dennis Schroeder for me forever because when he compared him to peak Brandon Knight, I. Oh, sweet mercy. I can't. Uh, It makes sense, though. And I was doing the basketball reference comps for them and I was like, oh my God, he's right. Dennis Schroeder is Brandon Knight 2.0.
0: Oh, Dennis Schroeder, I mean, there are a lot of Hawks fans that see the 20 and 7 or 20 and 8. And get excited, and but I. His not... usage
2: rate's what thirty one right. right now. It's exactly. ridiculous.
0: I mean, he, and that's not. By the way, that's that actually isn't his fault because he's the only guy on the team that can yep. create. Yeah, it's definitely um, not his
2: fault, but it does not but, look good.
0: <laughs> yeah, but at the same time, like I think he's like the number twenty five point guard in the league, which is fine. Um, but if that guy's your best player, you're you're in some trouble. So yeah, I'm. I'm Dennis is sort of an. I think he's a pretty neutral asset, honestly. You know, he's, I think probably appropriately paid. Um, but that doesn't move the needle a lot, and it's kind of tough to build around him in that way. So, yeah, I'm with you 100% on all the vets. Like I liked all their moves they signed in the offseason, um, and they all seem to be working. I mean, even you know the only guy that's not in the rotation is Luke Babbitt, and he's on the minimum, and I think he's overperformed that when he's played. So, you know, Bellinelli is the guy that got in trade, of course, but he's somebody you could probably trade and just give away if nothing else. it was a great sneaky signing. Deadman as well. Um. Yeah, they they've done really well with those guys, even though even though they're so bad. That's why one of the reasons I liked it was that none of these guys were going to be good enough to ruin the tank. Yes. But they also were going to be good enough to potentially trade, and that's that seems to be working out in a big way because all these guys could be moved. They don't. They don't. They won't necessarily all get traded, but they probably could trade each one of these guys if they wanted to do that. And that's kind of all you wanted to see was you sign the guys, you get maybe a minor asset in February, and, and you repeat.
2: You know who can't get traded because of his contract and because he's actually an actual bad basketball player in the professional level? It's Miles Blumley. I think they're going to have to stick but with they, him. How they is he 29 that. years old, by the way? He's 29. They knew The thing is, they knew that. Like, yeah. I actually think,
0: I mean, maybe you disagree. I think he's been better than I thought he was going to be. That's a very low bar to clear. Um, and again, he's not someone I would be playing now that everybody is healthy again. I would never play him, ever. But... Um, I think he, around the league, could be like a $3 million a year backup center, um, which is hilarious because he's making $12.5 million, but he's not a zero. Like He's, he's not a non-NBA player. Like he, he brings something to the table with just his size and girth, and he's not a terrible basketball player. He's not good, and he's overpaid, obviously. They, I mean, everybody, they, the Hawks have to know that. It's not like that's a big secret. That's the only reason why they were able to do what they did with Dwight. Um, was to take on Plummer's contract, but I think there's no urgency to move him. It's, just, it's sort of the worst worst section of Baysmore because um, the Hawks are bad this year, so there's no urgency to clear the books right now. And by the end, you know, if he, if he These has are ruined, only
2: bad contract really. It's him and Bazemore, and, but yeah. But, but I don't just bad. Like, if you look around it's the, not. like, the Hornets, situ- like, you look at that cap situ- situation and you're like, oh my god. They have, oh, like, no, 19 it's... moves to make. But the Hawks, if your worst situ- your worst contract is Bazemore at $16 million in today's just uh, collective bargaining agreement, it's just, I-, I don't think it's that bad. I really it don't isn't. think no, Bazemore's contract's bad. And because he's actually good. And that's what helps things, is, like, even if he's getting pay- overpaid, the fact that he's still playing well. Is huge. It it's a different thing if he was making sixty million and had fallen off a cliff without Millsap, but he hasn't.
0: Yeah, he's not the same. not Not the same tier of bad contract as plumly. We we should definitely say that. <laughs> uh, I do think Baysmore is a negative asset on the contract, which doesn't mean that he's bad. It's, it's not like again, it's like, a
2: worse contract than Batum.
0: No, Batum is worse. Okay, it's Batum is more money for more years, and he might be better, but not by much. Because that's what of it thing. kind
2: of reminds me of. I always think about these two because both teams kind of overpaid for these guys, but they were super valuable to their team success. And they were just kind of like that unsung hero and the rotation so and they overpaid to keep both. And it's a
0: very interesting thing. I've said this a lot around Atlanta because last year, especially people really turned on Maze And it's like, guys, you can you can be a helpful basketball, like helpful, good basketball player and still be a negative asset that's allowed like you can you can be both things i think baysmore is both things you would not want him to, you, you would not want to sign kent baysmore to a three-year 60 million dollar contract or whatever it would be three three years and a 57 million dollar contract right now you wouldn't want to sign him in that contract but if he was three for, if it was three for 45 it wouldn't be so bad yeah. um so like, and again, three for 45, that means you're a good player. And Kent Bazemore is a good player. Every team in the league, every single team in the league could use Kent Bazemore, including the Warriors. Like,
2: and they had, I, him.
0: <laughs> I mean, Kent Bazemore is better than Nick Young, who is in the rotation for the Warriors. Uh, Kent Bazemore is better than Patrick McCall. Like every single team in the league could, you could use Kent Bazemore on their team. Everybody. Uh, whereas Plumlee, obviously that's not the case. Um, it's just the it, it, so again the whole the overbarking theory there is that you could be a good player and still be overpaid, um and Bazemore fits that to to a, to a team but like it's not you don't have to, you don't have to desperately move. I think Hawks fans just want to desperately move him I'm not even saying that you have to do it I just think that you know some of the rumors that are out there you know Woj reported that he's available some of the wind horse stuff about Bazemore. of course this James Herbert thing as well um you have to at least look at moving him but there's no urgency to move Kent Bazemore at all like he's he's a helpful guy. He's a good leader. He can really add and sort of fill fill in gap for you. He's uh he's he's a good he's a good player, he's just a negative contract, and by the way, not his fault.
2: Well, I'm just glad that I don't have to be especially mean about Malcolm Delaney this year. Because he's not shooting threes at an absolutely atrocious clip this year. Still not great. And, you know, still not a great backup point guard. But
0: I am I, I am team Malcolm Delaney forever. So uh Are you? I, are you yeah, I think he's uh perpetually underrated. Excuse me.
2: Oh, Oh, what do you think he shot from three last year?
0: Oh, I know what he shot. It was horrible. <laughs> but, but, but. What every... was
2: he brought in as? Uh, elite shooter. That oh, was the no, thing. I mean, was like, he's me. just going to shoot threes. I, I don't bet.
0: understand. I still don't understand why he can't shoot. He's, he's made shots every it single place. No ever been, and he just suddenly stopped making shots. This year, it's been a little better. As you mentioned, I think they sort of figure, finally figured out that he's not a pure backup point guard that you asked to run your offense. Um, him playing with other guys, um, other point guards, whether it be Taylor or even Schroeder has always worked better than when he was by himself as a backup point guard. Um, and without getting too deep into Malcolm Delaney, I think, um, he there's a reason why the Hawks are always going to be better with him on the court. He just does everything, all the little things. Well, he's a, he's a really good defender. He's always in the right spot. Um, if he could, yeah, if he shot the way, if he shot the way that he is supposed to shoot, he would be a huge value. And even, even with his shooting, not being so great, he's fine. He's just what
2: he is. All right. Last thing before we need to go: Who are you enjoying watching right now? So we can end on a positive note and not just the Hawks Tankathon.
0: Um, Lou Williams. Yep. Uh, Gwinnett County's own Lou Williams. and I figured you you would appreciate that as a fellow Gwinnettian. you remember
2: when people would get his autograph and like get the shoe sign? Were you part of that era? I mean, your brother. He played. Was did Ty? Lou
0: was yeah. Lou was in the uh, class between me and my brother in okay. high school, so I saw Lou play probably thirty high school games. Okay. Um, I was around quite it a was bit. An experience that era. for
2: people that were not around during this time. He was, yeah. It was see
0: the, the crossroads were insane. <laughs> my brother, my brother had to guard him for two straight years. Um, they played. They, he, he played against him five different times and had to guard him all five times, which, as you might expect, did not go particularly well. Um, we actually, Parky, beat him a couple times, which was. Did they? I don't remember that at all. Oh, yeah, by the way, him. do
2: we mention? Had, do people know that we went to the same high school? Okay,
0: well, um, forever, not, yes. not, not people know. Um, so, but yeah, uh, Lou Williams is on the list. I just have always loved Lou, and he's been obviously fantastic this year. Um, I'm enjoying. This is not a. Uh, trans- it's not a transcendent opinion or anything like that. But uh, Victor Oladipo has been a lot of fun. I've always believed in him, so it's really really nice to see him be this. I didn't think he'd be this. Nobody thought that, but uh, he's been awesome and a lot of fun. And uh, we mentioned, I think you mentioned him earlier, but Donovan Mitchell is really, really, really fun to watch play basketball. Um, just in general, so th- th- that'd be three. I'm sure I can come up with a lot with a lot more guys. Um, for instance, I really, really, I really enjoy Ben Simmons, um, just as a entity because he's so interesting in a number of ways too. But uh, I think my number one, number one, number one and two would be uh, Old Depot and Lou Will for different reasons. But I just like watching both those guys play.
2: Interesting. So my number one right now. Nuggets, I still love watching Jokic. I could watch him play basketball all the time. And Gary Harris has just been phenomenal. I still really enjoy that team. And Trey Mm -hmm. Lyle's figuring it out. I'm always fascinated. So I watch them every chance I get on League Pass. So I love them. And then, I don't know if this is just like a weird uh, hate watch situation, but I force myself to watch the, (laughs) the Minnesota Timberwolves. Because they're just so weird to me that they're 29 and 16 at this point. And if you watch them play, it's so bizarre. Wiggins fades in and out. And Jimmy Butler is clearly their best player. And Towns makes these weird offensive errors. And it just, it's a really weird situation. The starting five plays like 90,000 minutes together. And it doesn't look like it should work in 2018, but it all works. And I just, I think Jimmy Butler might be my favorite player that I don't acknowledge as my favorite player to watch because... I'm very much invested in him. He's hilarious and just he does everything that I love watching out of a wing. And maybe that's why I was so interested in Torian Prince coming out of Baylor and why I was so high on him. I was like, you know, I could see some uh, Jimmy Butler in him, just the way he played hard on both ends of the floor and maybe never do anything particularly well or like I should say at elite level because I don't think Jimmy Butler does anything in elite level, but he's just good in basically every single area that you want out of a wing and I watch it, but You know, the Timberwolves don't have a lot of great shooting and Wiggins is just, I'm not there. And it's time to start worrying about him because if you look at year four, which is what Wiggins is in compared to year four of DeMar DeRozan, they're very, very similar scores. So I I think it might be time to start wondering what he is and if they should move him and things like that. But
0: good luck moving him now that you've paid him for all the money in all the world.
2: So you can't. So it's a weird team. I just, I would encourage people to watch them because it just, it looks odd. And I, I don't really get how it's working, but it's working and they're winning games. So
0: they have See a lot yeah. of talent. that's kind of uh, it, that's a perfect situation of talent overriding fit. And um, they play ugly basketball a lot of the time. They just have a lot of good players. And that 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 works, even if they don't fit together, that ends up uh, <laughs> uh, sort of controversially. If you have a lot of good players, you are good at basketball. It's It weird, turns out that that matters.
2: Yes. All right, Brad Roland. Uh, anything you need to plug before we get out of here? Oh no, I'm not
0: particularly. Just a Locked On Hawks podcast, and uh, I am the editor at Peachtree Hoops. If you like the Atlanta Hawks, and I write about national NBA stuff at uh, Dime Mag over at Up So if you liked that, you know, like random NBA stuff that we like, we just talked about for you know 45 minutes, please check me out over there.
2: All right, well I'll leave you with this: The Braves are going to be paying 62.2 million dollars in 2018 to Adrian Gonzalez, Scott Casimir, Brandon McCarthy, and Nick Marcakis,
0: and. Uh, three of those four guys it was the right move
2: okay <laughs> i just i saw that today and i i can't get over that that's it's pretty amazing
0: i've been mad about nid for three years and i'm not stopping now so there it is
2: all right well that's a good way to end it so brad thank you so much and keep up the great work and we will talk soon maybe on locked on hawks where we oh
0: we'll, we will pretty- do it I wanna, i'm gonna book you shortly for a uh, particular thing so we'll definitely do that man but thanks am, for having me as always
2: i'm ready all right thanks man uh we will talk soon.
1: Nobody builds 5G. Like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters.